So today's uh, reading of the word comes from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of God. Hi, everyone. It's great to see all of you, to worship with you. Thanks, Paul, for reading God's word to us. Um, if you are a parent of children anywhere from uh, zero up through the fifth grade, um, and you weren't able to attend yesterday's parenting seminar, which was a, the second part of um, a, a seminar series, of a two-part seminar series that started back in February, if you weren't able to attend, that content, what we did yesterday, is, is on our YouTube channel. You can watch it there. There's an accompanying handout that we can, we'll make available to everyone in our weekly um, uh, email. And um, what you'll find, I think, is that you, we reviewed some of what we learned back in February, and then we, we went into some new content. And hopefully there were some words of encouragement and help for, for those of us who are, have the joy and the, and the significant responsibility of raising children. God's children. Yeah. So let's jump into God's word and let's pray as we do that. Father, as we look into your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to see magnificent things, to see truth and to receive it as truth. We pray that you'd give us discerning hearts that can tell the difference between what is real and what isn't, what is true and what is a lie. And we ask that you would show us that your words are always true. Yeah. We ask that the, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Hiro Onoda. Hiro Onoda. He was a lieutenant in the Japanese army who fought in World War II. When the war ended, Hiro, Lieutenant Hiro, and some of his comrades were in the Philippines in a jungle. And it took some time for them to receive news that the war had ended. In fact, the first time that they heard news that the war had ended was in October of 1945. But interestingly, Lieutenant Hiro and his comrades distrusted the news. They concluded that it was Allied propaganda and they were not coming out of the jungle. Onoda's group studied the leaflets that were sent in to tell them the war's over, surrender, they looked at those leaflets and they tried to determine if they were genuine and they decided they were not. These leaflets had been dropped by airplanes into the jungle. In 1952, that's already seven years later, letters and family pictures were dropped from an aircraft urging this small group, what was remaining was a small group of Japanese soldiers to surrender. But the soldiers concluded that that was a trick too, so they still wouldn't come out. It wasn't until 1974 that things changed. Eventually, Onoda was the only one of his comrades left alive. He was the only living Japanese soldier in that jungle. And in 1974, 29 years after the war had ended, Onoda's commanding officer was compelled to travel to the jungle in the Philippines, from Japan to the Philippines, and to convince him personally to come out of the jungle. And finally, Onoda believed that the war was over. 
the stories and reports that you know, emerged over the years about Hiro Onoda. Some of them, some of those stories focus on his, uh, his strength of conviction and his courage. Others focus on his stubbornness and the fact that he was a delusional man. And maybe, maybe both those angles are true. There's truth in both of those. And I don't mean to make light of what Lieutenant Onoda experienced or make light of the, the horrors of that war. But, but this is also true. If Lieutenant Onoda had trusted the news initially, he could have saved himself 29 years of barely surviving in a wilderness. He could have saved himself 29 years of struggle and pain and hopelessness in the jungle. Perhaps one, uh, one moral that can be taken from this story is simply this, that, that there is some news in this world that can change your life. But in some cases, in order for that news to change your life, there, you need to believe it. You need to stop distrusting it and believe it to experience the benefit of it. The gospel we've seen over the past few weeks, if you started studying the gospel, Mark, we've seen that the word gospel means good news, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is simply that. It is good news, big news, history-altering, world-shaping news all about concerning Jesus, Christ, the Son of God. Today, as we read these, these words that, uh, that Paul just read to us, Jesus appears on the scene. These are the first words publicly that he speaks that were recorded for us here. The first words that he speaks in ministry. And his words are this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. When we look at these, this short little sentence, what we find is that this good news about Jesus Christ could also be thought of as good news about a kingdom. It's kingdom news question we'll ask today is, do we believe this kingdom news? Are we believing this kingdom news? So we're going to ask two questions today to help us unpack this. First question is this, what's this kingdom? What is it? And then how can we respond to Jesus's first words? All right, so what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? When you hear the word kingdom, what comes to mind? When I hear kingdom, I think of a, a place, a space, maybe a vast track of land, right? Like, like in Lion King, when, when King Mufasa says, he says, Look Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. <laughs> but when it comes to the kingdom of God, especially as Jesus is referring to it here, he's saying the kingdom is at hand, it's arriving. In order to really wrap our heads around that or try to, we can't just think of a place or a space that belongs to God. We, we have to think beyond that to think, about more, think more about God's reign. Think about God's influence, his authority, his power. And think of his kingdom as the reach of his authority. It's the reach of his rule. It's the presence and activity of God's authority and power. So think of it this way. Jesus arrives in this broken world. This world is filled with people who are hurting deeply, and are hurting one another. It's a world filled with suffering people and sinning people. And they're, they're usually the same people, like us, 
suffering and sinning. And Jesus is saying that with his arrival, the power of God is penetrating this world. The reach, the authority of God is penetrating this broken world. And what is happening here is that the creator himself is reestablishing his rule over creation. We saw last week that Jesus was on a rescue mission. We saw that even as he was baptized in that Jordan River, what's happening symbolically or metaphorically is he's, he's crossing this Jordan just as his people, the people of Israel, had crossed the Jordan from the wilderness into the safety of the promised land. Jesus is moving in the opposite direction. He comes from the promised land. He comes from heaven where there is peace and safety. He enters that Jordan River. He comes out and he goes into the wilderness to seek and to save the lost. And the language that he uses here in, 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 the, in our passage today, it, it helps us see that his mission, yes, it was a rescue mission, but it helps us see that mission from, from a slightly different angle. It helps us see that he came like a king, a king who returns to his domain. And that domain's been overrun, it's been decimated, but the king returns to rescue and restore and to reestablish his good rule. And his rule is perfect. His kingdom, you see, wherever God reigns, what we see in, in those lives, in those places where God reigns, we see increasing, budding, and flourishing peace, freedom. Ever wonder what the Garden of Eden looked like? That, that place that was created by God, that, that thrived under God's care. Think, think about what it may have looked like. Besides just the natural beauty, ima- imagine for a moment what it would have been like to live in a place like that. To live in a place where every one of your relationships was marked by peace, and understanding, and deep compassion, and love, and trust. Think about it, the, 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 those, the, our, our, our original parents were there and they, they experienced this peaceful, perfect relationship with God, vertically. They also experienced this imitant, uh, intimate and, and perfect relationship with one another, husband and wife. They experienced a perfect relationship even with the earth. They were there to cultivate it, they didn't have to fight against it and a perfect relationship even with themselves, peace with themselves. They understood who they were. They weren't confused about their identities originally. The work they did, they found rewarding and meaningful. And Adam's job in that perfect setting was to cultivate that garden. We see that in Genesis. God tells them to protect and nurture. That is, maintain what's here, but also grow it. Cause it to to grow, and in a sense... In a sense, Adam was a kind of ruler, a kind of vice regent, a representative. And so that little family is like a a royal family commissioned to rule as God's representative. But by a single act of treason, it all fell apart. It fell apart because, because he and his wife were unwilling to live under God's perfect authority. And so they rejected the creator's rule, and all was ruined. And all of creation was shot straight through curse. And the result of all this was, was fracturing, fracturing in relationships, the relationship with God fractured, the relationship with each other, with the earth, even with themselves. 
led to alienation and estrangement, enmity with God, broken relationships, inner turmoil, and ultimately banishment. They were sent away from that land. We see it in the Genesis 3 narrative. Adam and Eve, they initially, as soon as they, they commit this act of treason, they, they hide from God. That relationship's now broken. Then they turn on each other. That relationship's in bad shape as well. Then they seek to hide their shame, their nakedness, because internally now they're ashamed and guilty, and they're banished from the land. That's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. It's the world that the Son of God entered as a man. He entered as a man, as we saw last week, Alistair Begg says, Jesus entered the world not as Adam found it, but as Adam had left it in a broken, decimated condition. But Jesus comes in as, 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 as a second Adam, as a true and better king. He comes in as the son of man, the, a, a new and better son of man who will not fail. Like a king who's been abroad and, and absent for a time while his native land has been overrun and now he's finally returning to take back his throne. That's Jesus in Mark 1, 14 coming into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when he arrives he, and he begins his work, he, he leads with those words. He says, he says, I'm here to bring God's reign. He's bringing God's power with him. And he's telling people that, and soon he's going to start showing it, too. He's going to show and tell. He's going to show through healing, as we're going to see just in a couple of weeks, as he heals, as he teaches folks about what the kingdom is like and how different God's kingdom is from what we've learned to, to, to feel like is normal here on earth. You see, in, in, in the showing and the telling, Jesus is contrasting. He's contrasting his kingdom with the kingdom of this world where there's rampant illness and disability and death, where there's conflict and betrayal and ignorance and confusion, where, where prophets like John the Baptist get imprisoned by cowardly, corrupt rulers like Herod. I'm not even going to look at that today, but John, it starts this, verse 14 tells us that John, Jesus' cousin, the prophet, was arrested. We'll look at that in future weeks, see what that meant. But Jesus arrives on the scene showing that he has authority. Wherever he goes, he has authority. And wherever he applies that authority, we see the signs, the marks of the kingdom are manifested. So, so everything that Jesus does as he's applying his authority and his power, what does it lead to? It leads to renewed order, peace, healing. He banishes evil spirits, as we'll see soon in a couple of weeks, he, he calms waves. He, he brings dead people back. And in all these ways, he's, he's exerting the authority, the power of the kingdom. Of the king, I should say. Ever wonder why all of Jesus' miraculous signs that he performed, they, they all seem to focus on things like healing, feeding, liberating people, right? He's not just doing impressive magic tricks, right? He's not like, he's not just saying, see that mountain? Oh, now it's gone. Who did that? It was me. Follow me, right? He's not doing random tricks to impress or to just, just show that he's powerful. He's showing a particular kind of power and he's manifesting it in a particular kind of way. 
And in doing that, manifesting, flexing, in a sense, God's rule, he's saying, this is what things will look like everywhere when I set all things right permanently. You see, Jesus' goal is to restore the universe, all of creation. But for now, for now, he's saying, here's a taste, here's a preview. It's, It's like a movie trailer, right? But I mean a good movie trailer. A good movie trailer of an even better movie. It, it, it's, it gives you a bit of the experience of seeing that movie, just enough to really want to go see that movie. Jesus is saying, here's a little bit of experience of what it looks like to experience life in the kingdom of God. It's so different from what you're used to. You're used to death and conflict and hurt and betrayal. Let me show you what life in the kingdom looks like. It looks like people being fed. It looks like people living in unity. It looks like the experience of healing and even restored life. Here's a little bit of that reality he's saying now. Pastor Tim Keller makes this point that uh, we modern folks, we tend to think of the biblical miracles, we think like they're just suspensions of the natural order, right? Jesus just suspended nature. Well, Keller says, no, it's quite the opposite. He says Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but actually the restoration of the natural order. They were a reminder of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality once again, a world of peace and justice without death, disease, or conflict. It's like Jesus was was reaching into the future and and bringing that future reality back into the present and saying, look, this is what's in store for anyone who receives me as king and becomes a citizen of my kingdom. Here's what's in store. Keller's words, they they take on perhaps even even greater weight when, when you know that the man who said these words is now battling against stage four cancer. I wonder how much more meaningful these miracles are to him. This foretaste, this preview, this, this, this trailer of what's ahead. No cancer, no death, no pain. But it's hard for us to believe the news that, that the kingdom of God has arrived, isn't it? I mean, look around. Does it look like the kingdom of God has arrived? Maybe we see little glimmers of hope here and there. But, but you and I, I think it's easy for us to, to be skeptical, right? Like Lieutenant Onoda back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and part of the 70s. He was skeptical of the news that he had heard. And we might be skeptical too because we look around and we say, how many murders were there in America last week? How many mass shootings did we experience? How many refugees are displaced all around the world? How many people were diagnosed with cancer last month? How many of you are experiencing mental health struggles now? How many of you are experiencing deep pain in your families? And so we see all that. We say, where's the kingdom? This is just religious propaganda. Where is the kingdom? I don't see it anywhere. We need to know this. Jesus' goal is the complete renewal of the universe. That's the end game he is committed 100% to. 
It, it, that, that, a, a future reality where the authority and power of God covers every aspect of human life. Uh, think about the Garden of Eden, but, but better. But that's not what we see right now at all. And so Bible scholars have helped us, theologians over the years have helped to communicate something of what the Bible teaches us regarding the fact that the kingdom, in a sense, is at hand. It's here, but in another sense, it's not completely here. Sometimes we use the language of already and not yet. There are aspects of the kingdom that are already true now, and there are aspects that are not yet true here and not here. So when Jesus arrives in Galilee, he's saying, my reign has arrived. With, with his arrival, the power and authority and influence of God has arrived through Jesus who came to die for his people. But at the same time, his reign would only fully arise, will only fully arrive when the risen, ascended Christ returns to finalize it all, to establish God's rule perfectly in a way that's final, in a way that's so obvious to the world that Philippians said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, he's Lord. Undeniable. So right now we're living that in-between phase, aren't we? What some call the already and not yet. Maybe you've heard this illustration. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doubling down on the, uh, on the World War II illustrations today, but some people have, have pointed, I think this is useful, it's an illustration that Bible teachers will use to describe the mystery between the already and the not yet senses of the kingdom. Uh, they, they use the, the example of D-Day and V-E-Day. For those of you who know anything about World War II history, D-Day was the day when the Allied forces in World War II secured a foothold in France. That was in 1944, but then VE Day, in a sense, though, the war was over, in a sense, on D-Day. But it wasn't until VE Day, or Victory in Europe Day, which happened almost a whole full year later, that the Nazi Germany finally surrendered. So Jesus' church, in a sense, exists between the D-Day and the VE Day. Jesus defeated sin. Death died when he died and he rose again. There was decisive victory, but the fighting still goes on until he returns. And it's been a lot more than 11 months, hasn't it? It's been a long time. And so we can start to wonder is the news even real? I think we need to look closely, but if we look closely, we can see evidence of his kingdom here now. Right now, Jesus' rule, God's rule is experienced and exercised primarily in the hearts and the lives of people. People who have entrusted their lives to him. People who have received him as king now experience the, the authority and the rule and the influence of God's kingdom internally now. make up churches like this one and thousands of churches all over the world. And his rule is also being, right now, in the world, if we look closely, we can see it. Not perfectly, it's not, but it's, it's there. His, his rule is being exercised through the actions of his people who serve and work and love others in his name. People who are asking, as Jenny led us earlier as we were singing, to ask, show me who you are and then lead me to move in love towards those around me. 
That's kingdom work. That's the kingdom. Flourishing, growing, spreading, slowly but surely. One day when Jesus returns, his reign will cover everything. And we won't have to look so closely to see the evidence of the kingdom anymore. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Isaiah, Isaiah speaking of Jesus here, predicting, prophesying the coming Messiah. He says, His, this one, this new Adam, he's not like the first Adam. The first Adam failed quick. This new Adam He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So when we pray, as Jesus taught us to, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying, we're asking, Lord, do, do what you've already started doing. Do more of it. Do what you promised to do. Uh, uh, bring, b- manifest your kingdom rule, your, your kingdom power in the hearts of people like us by bringing us into your kingdom, by, 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 by fulfilling your promises to us so that we will willingly submit to your rule. And we're also saying, Lord, Lord, let your kingdom come. Manifest your kingdom power by working through people to serve other people. Working through us to serve and work and love others. And we're also saying, Lord, and then, and then finally, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven fully when you return to consummate the kingdom in full and to make all things new. I want to read to you from Revelation 11. This is a trailer of sorts, a trailer of what's ahead. This prophecy from John, based on a vision that he experienced, he says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This is like invasion talk. This is the idea that that God's power, God's authority, his kingdom has invaded this world And now this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones, I have no idea what that means. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones, so don't ask, they they fell on their faces and they worshiped saying, saying what? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power And you've begun to reign. The nations raged. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing this now. But but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That language is so striking, isn't it? You see, John, in this vision, he's focusing on what he, what he saw was the, the, the celebration of the fact that the king had returned to finalize this renewal of all things. And it included caring for and, and, and providing for and protecting his people. 
It also involved judging those who rejected him as king. Those who lived stubbornly doing damage to themselves and to others. God calls them the destroyers of the earth who will themselves be destroyed. So that's the not yet. That's the not yet. It's the resolution of this epic that God is writing, and, and, um, and, and we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of this epic story when we entrust ourselves to King Jesus, and we get to be a part of the story right now when we act in his name. Did you know, for any of you parents who maybe feel very tired, maybe even discouraged, did you know that raising your kids in the training and instruction of the Lord is kingdom work? That, that that's, that's, the, that's the authority and influence of power of Jesus at work in you. As you work to see his kingdom manifested in your little household. You know that loving your neighbor, when you love your neighbor, church, you are a preview of a kingdom where, people, where people's needs are met where people are not displaced and shuttled around from refugee camp to refugee camp. When you do your job to the glory of God, not for selfish gain or to, just to appease an employer or just to accumulate more stuff, that's a preview of the kingdom where all of God's people will work and find reward and, and, and satisfaction in their labor. When you humbly seek to live according to the ethics of the kingdom of God, that's evidence of the kingdom working, of the kingdom power at work in you right now. When you communicate to others that the kingdom is at hand, when you talk about this news, this big, life-altering, world-shaping news, that's evidence that, ah, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. When you talk to others, And you repeat this announcement. You remind others, maybe others who already believe and need to be reminded of those who don't believe yet and need to hear again, the kingdom is at hand. This is not the end of the story. Jesus is doing something. He's already died and he's risen from the grave, but he's coming back and he's going to make all things new, including you. There's forgiveness in his name and there's eternal life in his name. When we we communicate that gospel news, it's evidence of kingdom powers at work in us. We do communicate news when we think it's important, right? It, we, we do that. We all do. I know in my family, with my, my sons often, we will, if we hear any kind of news about a particular sports team that we like, someone immediately texts it. The Chicago Bears traded their number one pick in the draft this season. <gasps> I got to find out more. I got to find out more. Thank you for letting me know that, Marcos. Now I know. Let me go find out more about this news. When we're excited by something, we share that news, and we want to even share more about it. Well, when we want to share this news of the kingdom, it's evidence that the power of the king is at work in us. Yeah, the kingdom is here, and it's, it is growing. But if you look at what Jesus says about the kingdom in places like Mark 4, what we find is that he talks about the kingdom often, often describing it as something that starts out very small, like a seed, that then grows into a tree. I think that's what we're seeing right now around us. The smallness, in a sense, 
of the kingdom, but the promise that it will continue to grow until it envelops the whole world. Well, we've got to ask this last question, and then I'll stop. How can we respond to Jesus' first words? How do we respond to this news? Well, it's right there in verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. All right, that's the news. How do we respond? Jesus tells us, repent and believe in the gospel. Respond to that indicative by embracing this imperative. Repent and believe the gospel. It simply means believe the news about the kingdom. Don't don't be stubbornly resistant to it. Believe this narrative that Jesus is delivering. Believe that he really is king and that the kingdom arrived in him. Believe that things will really get better. Don't let cynicism or skepticism rob you of the opportunity to embrace the reality of this kingdom news. And according to Jesus, believing involves repenting, which I guess is natural. We saw last week that repentance means to turn around. It's a kind of change of mind that leads to a change in in the course of your life, a change in your actions. It's a a turning away from and to something. And so, to believe the news of the kingdom means to stop believing some other news, some other narratives. Repentance is not a bad word, by the way. I think, I think as Christians, we, we, should, we should reclaim this word and use it. It's a good word. It doesn't mean self-hatred. No, actually, you know what? Repentance is the most loving thing that you can do to yourself. It's the most loving thing you can do for yourself because it means you're, you're going to stop believing in false narratives that are killing you and leading you astray, and you're going to start believing in reality. You're going to start believing in the news of the kingdom. It means that you're going you're gonna to say no to whatever is luring you away from the rule of Jesus. Because you know that if you're led away from, the, from, from, from Jesus, what you end up with is, is the fracturing and the suffering that we saw in the garden. Anything that lures you toward, towards alienation from God and from others and from self and, and, and from the world, it's, it's saying no to that. Repentance is not a one-time event. It's a, it's a keep-turning-back kind of event, a series of events. It's continually turning away from what's harmful, unwise, and turning to the one who forgives, turning to the one who restores. You know, the kingdom, I, I keep saying that the kingdom is about the, the power and the authority of God manifesting itself, and that's true. That's true. But the kingdom is more about just authority and power. It's it's also the manifestation of God's mercy and his justice. This king would go to a cross and pay for our failures and offenses. That's how he reclaims his throne. He reclaims his throne by laying down his life. He fulfills the justice of God. Because according to the justice of God, someone needs to pay. Atonement must be made. And so he, he satisfies that justice by paying himself, and in so doing, he manifests the mercy of God, saying, they will not pay. I will do it. Mercy and justice and authority and power all converging there at the cross. What kind of king is this that would exercise power by laying aside his power, by allowing himself to be victimized for us? This, this is the true narrative that Jesus is offering us. 
And so we need to ask ourselves, am I still skeptical of that news? Like Lieutenant Onoda, I I, got to look into it more closely. I got to make sure that this is real. I think there's, it's reasonable to not accept something as true just because I say it or just because it's printed in an ancient book. But I think that there comes a point where we have to ask ourselves, is what I'm exhibiting a stubborn unwillingness to believe? Like, like a doubling down and a holding on to narratives in my life that I know are leading me in the wrong direction. Are we unwilling to see what Jesus has already revealed to us about himself? He says, believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. And that means, yeah, we're going to have to repent. If we're going to keep believing the gospel, we're going to have to keep repenting from certain things. Like, like if I'm going to believe in the gospel of the kingdom, that means I've got to give up on building my own kingdom. <laughs> Where I'm king. We, we all want to be the star of the movie, right? We, we, Jesus is inviting us into his movie, into his kingdom, where we are not the star. But he's saying, you'll flourish here. Oh, you'll, you'll, you'll experience joy and peace here. We need to repent from believing that what, what really matters in life is what I'm building, what I'm doing, and not what God is doing. I need to repent from living from self, for self, And all of what that looks like, whether it's just hoarding material things or hurting others in order to get what I want. The gospel of the kingdom calls us to repent from all that. And and this this call to repent, in a sense, in a sense what Jesus is saying, he's saying, walk away from everything you've built. And, and, And here's the ironic twist in all of it. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things that you care so much about. If they're really good for you, they'll be added to you anyway. You'll get those things. All the things that you're anxious about losing, anxious about working hard for, that you've focused your life on. Jesus is saying, walk away from all that. Anything you've built towards attaining those things that you dream of, he's saying, walk away from it. Seek first the kingdom. Believe this kingdom message. And guess what? You'll get that on top, along with eternal life. Repent from, for some of us, I wonder if we need to repent from a jaded cynicism that says, no, the gospel's too good to be true. I can't believe that. Things are not going to get better. I mean, look around here. It's not going to get better. I've heard, my, my son and I, for some reason, we watched like the 6 o'clock news the other day, like the first 30 minutes of like the local New York 6 o'clock news. I forgot how deeply disturbing the 6 o'clock news is. Like that first 30 minutes, it's all just horror. And it made me think, how is this ever going to get better? This is just a random Tuesday. How's it going to get better? Some of us need to repent from our jadedness that says things will never get better. Some of us need to repent from our optimism and say, oh, things are going to be fine in my life. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I don't really need Jesus' help. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. No. They're both naive. And so I'll end by simply asking you, is Jesus king? Is he your king? 
Is he your king? And if he's not, then who is? And as we walk through this gospel according to Mark, I hope you'll see his authority, you'll see his wisdom, you'll see his kindness, you'll see his generosity, you'll see all these aspects of his personality and his works. And I want you to keep asking yourself as you read through the gospel of Mark, does this man deserve my trust? Like, is this the kind of person that deserves my allegiance as king? Is he the kind of person I can entrust myself to? And if he is your king, I encourage you to ask him, and we'll do it in a moment together, to help us live under his rule by the ethics of his kingdom. Let's ask him that now. Lord Jesus, you've proven your authority. You've proven that you are who you say you are. Work in us a willing submission to your kingship and work in us a deepening trust that you will finish the mission you've begun. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.